This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. Banana grows on a tree in one piece and after five or six steps, it's in a supermarket and you know basically who you should pay a fair price in order to get a fair trade uh, banana. The biggest problem with a mobile phone in terms of fairness is that a mobile phone is not a banana. Yeah, we're in the company of BB Bleek and Molen from Fairphone this week, the fascinating Dutch organisation which is both pioneering ethical supply chain campaigner and successful smartphone business. Stay tuned. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, episode 24, this is, of The Better Business Show. Thanks for coming back and tuning in. Uh, our usual format this week, after a slight tangent last week uh, with our, our bunch of journalists uh, giving us their kind of temperature check uh, midway through the year. Uh, but this week, we're back to normal this week. Yeah, we're going to hit you with a great story. Uh, BB Bleekemolen from, from uh, Fairphone, uh, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, but we're going to go right deep into their story today. Uh, and it's a, it's a fascinating one, so I hope you enjoy it this week. Um, and then we'll finish up with our, our usual news roundup with Vicky Knowles. Anyway, thanks to everyone that gets in touch each week. And I know lots of you have uh, been signing up to uh, our brilliant newsletter. Um, I did promise that I'd get you a, a downloadable PDF document that, that draws on all the, the insights and tips. And I've mentioned this a few weeks on the trot now, but I still haven't got around to it. So apologies for that. I'm just incredibly busy right now, which I guess is a good thing. But I will get on to doing that. I promise uh, I'm just as excited as you about putting that together. So uh, I will get on to that and, uh, and stay tuned for it. As I mentioned uh, last week and the week before, um, if you're an organization looking for a fresh new way to tell stories and engage with our incredible audience here on The Better Business Show, uh, we'd love to invite new partners to, to join us on this journey. Uh, so just give me a call, give me a tweet, give me a text, give me an email uh, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you and have you on board. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Now, more people in the world have a mobile phone than have a flushable toilet. Um, according to UN statistics, uh, about six of the world's seven or so billion people now use a mobile phone of some sort, and about four and a half billion actually have a toilet. Uh, so it's a it's a weird situation, which probably says more about the state of the, the, the world's hygiene and sanitation than anything else. But we know smartphones are ubiquitous. One billion of them were sold in the world uh, in 2014, so that number's obviously bigger than that now. But there's a problem with smartphones. Um, as we're going to explore in today's show, most handsets contain around 40 different minerals and, and metals, which you know work to make your phone function in the way that it does. Um, and these minerals and metals are coming from some of the parts of the world, which um, are practicing some of the worst forms of, of environmental uh, standards, human rights abuse, uh, particularly in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where a lot of these kind of crucial minerals and metals actually come from. Uh, and, and the DRC, where the so-called conflict minerals of t tin and tantalum and tungsten and gold, all four key ingredients in our smartphones, 
are often mined in conditions of armed conflict or the trade of which is, is kind of fueling um, conflict and, and armed groups in the country. And understanding where each of those components in our smartphones comes from is, is tough, it's really tough. If you look at your phone, you probably can't see much um, at all to it, but, you know, open the bonnet, there's, you know, as I say, about 40 different minerals and metals in there from the LCD screen, the battery, the microphone. And each of these components has its own supply chain, which then has its own supply chain. And there's this whole list of different challenges being faced uh, in terms of bringing the, the phone to market from, from, the, from the mine where it originated. Literally thousands of different steps along the way. And it's, a, it's been a problem. It's been a problem for a long time. The NGO community, I've mentioned uh, Amnesty International, uh, Greenpeace, War Child, Race Hope for Congo, all these different campaign groups have really worked hard in the last few years, raising awareness of, of poor working conditions in, in mines, particularly in the DRC, uh, not just in the DRC, but in other regions as well. Um, and, yeah, there's been uh, reports of, of children working in, in this, some of these mines, earning less than a dollar a day. That was something that Amnesty International raised a, a couple of years back. Uh, poor air quality down there. Some people spending, you know, one or two days underground in a mine. Uh, limited access to protective clothing uh, and equipment. So it's, it's just a, a nasty situation, basically. And among this group of campaigners was Fairphone, uh, which was set up in 2010, to bang the drum to to get consumers to start asking more questions of of companies selling them these phones um they want to know you know what are these these elements inside the phone where they come from how they're being made uh, and that was really fairphone's reason for being back in back, back in 2010 uh, but then it went one stage further uh, we're going to speak to uh, bb uh, bleak molan uh, the organization's head of impact development and she's going to tell us exactly what came next. Bibi, thanks for joining us here on The Better Business Show. Delighted to, to have you join us. And Fairphone is a, is a company that I've been watching with interest since you, since you started, what, six years ago now. Um, I think a good place for us to start is maybe to talk about the problem with mobile phones and the ingredients that go into them. I guess many people don't really know the whole story, do they? These lovely little smartphones that we carry around uh, are contained with all sorts of, of minerals and metals which are coming from, from parts of the world which are at the mercy of, of human rights abuse. Uh, tell, tell us what the, the big problem is with, with mobile phones. Thanks, uh, Tom. Yeah, so what I've learned uh, while working for Fairphone over the last couple of years is that uh, the biggest problem with a mobile phone in terms of fairness is that a mobile phone is not a banana. And that sounds very weird, but yeah, a banana grows on a tree in one piece and after five or six steps, it's in a supermarket and you know basically who you should pay a fair price in order to get a fair trade uh, banana. However, with a mobile phone, it contains of around 40 different types of minerals and metals that are mined all over the world, as you mentioned, in all kinds of regions also that uh, are faced with social and environmental problems. Um, but in turn, these minerals are manufactured and, and, and at, at, at smelter level, they are um, used in subcomponents like a, a microphone or a battery or an LCD screen. And each of these individual components and each of these individual minerals should sort of have their own individual supply chains with their own challenges. So in the end, there are literally thousands and thousands of steps involved in the production of a mobile phone. So at first, 
it is already very difficult to know uh, where these minerals uh, come from and also who you should pay a fair price and what types of uh, environmental concerns you have to take into account. So transparency and traceability, I would say, is definitely one of the key problems when it comes to electronics as compared to agriculture or clothing. Um, however, you do luckily see a growing movement, and I think Fairphone is really at the, at the core of that, that um, uh, more and more consumers as well as producers are being more and more conscious of responsible sourcing and making also the electronics industry more, uh, more fair. Sure, sure. And, and hu- huge problems and, and a huge industry. And then you have Fairphone that comes along to, I mean, I guess the, the business started as a campaign, didn't it? It wasn't about trying to create products, which you are now. It started more as a sort of movement, didn't it? Exactly. Yeah, in 2010, uh, we started an awareness raising campaign called Fairphone, where we wanted to raise awareness for the uh, conditions for mine workers in Congo and tell those stories to consumers in Europe. And basically, at that point in time, the mobile phone for us was more a storytelling artifact mm-hmm. to connect consumers in Europe to those stories of the mine workers in, uh, in Congo, to make it more tangible and to, 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 to create that link between, uh, between the two. Uh, so we went to Congo in 2010 with a filmmaker to ask questions to mine workers uh, directly. But yeah, more and more it became also clear that in order to actually make a change instead of create awareness, you really need to be more involved in the industry and get more access and more insights into the challenges that the industry is uh, facing. So after two years of campaigning, we started the social enterprise uh, Fairphone with actually producing a phone ourselves as a way to unravel these complexities uh, in the supply chain and to find out more about yeah, what kind of partners are in that industry and are there even partners that we can find that are willing to change sourcing behavior and to improve the social and environmental performance of the sector. And yeah, that's where we started uh, uh, a couple of years ago. And today there are almost 100,000 people walking around with a fair phone. So that's, that's, yeah, for me being part of the story since the beginning, it's quite a remarkable uh, development. It's amazing. So there's, there's two different phones you have, isn't there? Fairphone 1 and Fairphone 2. Uh, and, and what's the model? I mean, you're not competing with, with the, the mask market, are you? I mean, this is, is it an online-only business? You're not selling these, these handsets in stores, are you? Uh, yes, we are. So at the moment, we sell all throughout uh, Europe and a little bit depending on the country uh, itself in Europe, we have partners uh, such as operators or retail, where we also uh, sell our phones. Uh, but we have our own web shop where everybody can uh, can buy it uh, online. But for example, in the UK, we have also a partnership with the phone co-op, uh, which okay. also provides an additional uh, subscription. So in each individual country, we have partners uh, that also sell uh, sell the Fairphone. And yeah, you mentioned it's not really competing. Well, it's not the core mission for Fairphone is not to become, to monopolize the electronics industry and to sort of have Fairphones uh, uh, um, downplaying each of the other phones that are on the market. Sure. Um, however, in, when it comes to quality and when it comes to, to drive, the phone is comparable to, to other high uh, segment uh, uh, phones at the moment. You can do everything that you can with, a, with another phone. 
However, our, our objective with this phone is to really drive this awareness and drive this positive change in the electronics industry using a mobile phone. And we really encourage and work together also with the industry to drive that scale because Fairphone, of yeah. course, for us, 100,000 phones is, is a big number. Um, but if you look at the numbers that uh, other mobile phone companies sell at the moment, then that is also the, the change where we need to uh, that we need to see. So we mm-hmm. sort of use this this phone as a way to create debate, as in a way to create uh, an example, to create alternatives, and thereby stimulating the entire industry to move uh, with us. Sure, sure. I mean, the latest development, obviously announced last week from you guys, was that you're now sourcing conflict-free tungsten from from Rwanda. Uh, as part of your supply chain now, um, you, you now basically successfully managed to transparently source all four of the so-called conflict minerals. So that's tin, tantalum, uh, tungsten and gold. Uh, I mean, what does that mean to, to transparently source? Are you saying that you know where every bit of, of those four minerals are actually coming from? Um, yes and no. So there are actually two things uh, to that. On the one hand, we have indeed managed to successfully support responsible mining initiatives for gold, tin, tantalum and tungsten, indeed the, the, the officially uh, the four conflict, uh, the conflict minerals. Um, so we have been able to increase transparency by collaborating with partners in our supply chain and to map out the individual routes of these minerals to our phone. Um, However, it, it doesn't mean that for all the tin, tantalum and tungsten and gold in the phone, we know exactly uh, where it comes from. So there are some components and some partners where we have started collaborating with in order to um, um, support, for example, the Fair Trade Gold Initiative or the, uh, the tungsten uh, from Rwanda that you uh, that you mentioned, but there's still a lot of work for us to do in also in our own supply chain to convince more partners and to collaborate with more partners also of other components to expand those uh, that transparency and traceability in the in the supply chain. So we have made some big steps, but it's definitely not the case that for each and every of the conflict minerals we know exactly all the whereabouts uh, in our uh, in our supply chain. Okay. I mean, is that the goal, though? Is that what you want to, to be able to get to? Definitely, yeah, it's one of the goals. So, uh, again, as I mentioned, our phone is not an end goal in itself. For us, it's a mean to inspire the bigger industry. So, for example, by supporting fair trade gold or by supporting the tungsten trade in, in Rwanda and working with more responsible partners, we sort of show to both consumers as well as other manufacturers that this change is possible and that alternatives do exist and we show how you can, can do that. Sure. But again, these 100,000 phones are not going to significantly change the lives of all these mine workers that we want to uh, target and that we want to improve. So in that sense, we really need the bigger industry to move with us. Mm. Uh, and for that, we need also the consumers to, uh, to start demanding these, uh, these alternatives. And yeah, thereby we sort of create an example, um, uh, but it's not our end goal to only look at our phone and to only uh, uh, sh- show that, that only with this phone it's possible, but that it's 
at large possible to create a more responsible supply chain. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll come on to talk about the consumer because I think that's a fascinating element of, of this. Uh, tell us about the, the mines that, that you've, you've witnessed I and mean, what, what's life like for, for people working in, in a, you know, a tungsten mine in Rwanda, for example? I mean, and how does that compare to some of the worst types of mines that you're, you know, you're consciously avoiding being a part of your supply chain? Yeah, I think if you're if you're um, uh, a person that has never traveled uh, to a mine in in Africa before, then you would still be quite amazed by uh, uh, yeah, sort of some sometimes the the, the way workers uh, work in these mines because it's quite heavy uh, work. Sometimes um, you know they're 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 staying underground for a couple of hours. The the the, the air around it is 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 very moisty and. Um, yeah, the conditions are quite intense, I would uh, definitely say. But when I visited last year, as opposed to five years ago, I see am- amazing improvements when it comes to the social and environmental uh, conditions. So also, for example, in the mine in Rwanda that we're now uh, supporting, you saw a, a massive increase in professionalization and industrialization also helping the individual mine workers to more easily get bigger uh, volumes therefore yeah reducing the sort of the workload of the of the individual mine workers um, you saw health and safety measures uh, improved when it comes to wearing uh, protective gear and hats and glasses and 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 boots so i i definitely saw many uh, great in- improvements and i think that's also really what we should be aware of is that it's a step-by-step approach you cannot have an isolated uh, one mine uh, somewhere that, is, that has all the perfect conditions we should look at the industry at large and see can we drive improvements uh, in a step-by-step uh, way? And if you, for example, compare it to some mines that I visited in uh, in Congo, those were again much more uh, primitive. That protective gear was uh, was absent most of the times. Sometimes mine workers uh, were digging holes up to 60 meters down in the ground with very primitive tunnels. Uh, sometimes even staying underground for a couple of days because of the hassle of uh, getting up and down in the in in the mine. So, yeah, there's there's many different situations that I've seen, but overall, you definitely see a massive uh, improvement, which yeah stems me very uh, very positively overall. But yeah. again, there's still a lot of improvements uh, needed before we come to a point where we say this is a fair, completely hundred percent fair mine. Yeah, 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 and lots of social issues, lots of environmental issues. Um, I, I mean, maybe maybe it's too much of a simplistic question, but why are we seeing that sort of level of, of human rights abuse and maybe you know kids working in mines? And I mean, why is that going on? Is it just a, a poverty thing? I guess is it? Uh, are there other uh, you know issues at play? Yeah, that's of course you need to. You say a simplistic question. I think it's a question that I've been <laughs> wrapping my head around for already 15, uh, 15 uh, years. Like, how the hell is it possible that these things still happen in today's uh, in yeah. today's world? Um, but I think that the the, the 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 main issue about these things is also that uh, that a lot of people don't know, uh, and it, it it it's difficult to you know to 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 
get these stories across in an information society where everyone is sort of yeah covered and and uh, yeah how do you say that uh, drown in in information that we get through newspapers and and the news uh, every uh, every day but uh, nevertheless again i think there is an improvement when it comes to consumer awareness and producer awareness uh, regarding these uh, these issues um but more and more should be um should become you know common common knowledge and i think that's also where where fairphone is 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 such a big uh, driver in that is to increase that transparency and to create that knowledge and to go to these places uh, bringing our cameras and and our questions and and literally going down uh, uh, the, the the supply chain and and looking up these stories and showing them to the to the consumers because i think once you know you cannot shake off that idea anymore and you have to do something uh, something about it well, and yeah. yeah luckily more and more um uh, you can choose alternatives nowadays yeah yeah but i mean this lack of information means that you know most people buying a phone whether it's online or in a, in a high street store have no idea how those products are made or where those materials come from or how they're sourced obviously you guys you know you're making a business out of providing that information and being utterly transparent um I mean, why is it that that information is not being made made available to consumers is it that they're not asking for it or is it that the companies you know don't know where those ingredients are coming from or or maybe they don't necessarily want consumers to know what, what do you what do you think's going on I find it very difficult to to know what is sort of the 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 cause and what is consequence uh here. I think it's really a sort of a dual dynamic that on the one hand uh, especially again for electronics companies it's very difficult to provide full insights into all the materials uh, that are going into to to their products and where they're uh, coming from because of that tiered uh, supply chain and that complexity of so many parties uh, uh, involved. At the other hand, uh, consumers are are not asking about it uh, enough mm. up to this point. Also, because they 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 don't know probably. But again, yeah, more and more you see that uh, that newspapers and uh, and uh, NGOs are um, uh, raising awareness and are advocating for these issues. So more and more, I think it it is becoming a, a, an agenda, a point on the agenda. Um, and I, I, I do see over the last couple of years an increase and an improvement when it comes to transparency that you see on the websites of electronics manufacturers. Um, but it, it, it's not necessarily the first page that you open. So it's also mm. really up to, the, up to consumers to, to ask for that information and to start looking for that information on the websites of the, of the brands that you buy from and to uh, to start that conversation with these brands so they can also create the 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 um, yeah the means and and free up the resources within their companies to make it a higher priority uh, within the within the company so i'm again i'm not sure if 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 there's not enough information because the the, the companies are are not able to provide it or that there is not enough information because the consumers are not asking for it. But again, yeah, that's really uh, sort of the same side of uh, of, uh, of a coin, I would say. Uh, yeah, and it's probably a bit of both. Uh, I mean, the, the the obvious comeback 
against a company like yours, the new kid on the block in a, in a market like this, is that you know it's easy it's easy for you to trace your suppliers and and tell this sort of story because you know you're dealing with relatively small quantities of of minerals and metals, whereas you know the likes of Apple and Samsung and others have a much more difficult job to do in because they're just so much bigger. I mean, do you think that's a sound argument? What would you say to that? Yeah, again, I think yes and no. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a very annoying answer, but on the one hand, we only have one product. Yeah. Uh, we sell we sell one model uh, of phone. Uh, thereby, it is in a way easier for us to to map out our uh, our list of partners and to 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 research those partners and to find out who's who's who, which partners are are willing to collaborate with us for improvements. Um, if you compare that, for example, to, to other companies that, that not only sell mobile phones in, in different models, but also um, uh, tablets or computers or even DVD players, printers, um, it makes it much more difficult to, to, to have that full overview of, uh, of, uh, of partners that, that are uh, somehow connected to your supply chain. However, on the other hand, the level of scale and leverage um, with that comes with bigger volumes is mm. also a bigger incentive for these partners to collaborate with you to to drive that change. You know, if we order um, uh, ten thousand uh, screens uh, in 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 a certain month or in a certain quarter. Um, as opposed to another company that orders 100,000 screens in, in a month, for a, a specific supplier, it also becomes more interesting to listen to that uh, partner ordering 100,000 screens because that brings in much more business than we do with our 10,000 screens. So, yeah, on the one hand, it is easier for us to, 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 to map out and to have that focus in terms of social and environmental improvements. On the other hand, when it comes to negotiating with partners and the leverage that we have over the, the, the resources also that they need to free up together with us to, to make these changes, I think another company ha can have much more influence when it comes to uh, uh, those resources and that scale. So. Yeah, again, it's a bit of a yes and no uh, answer. But again, I think that 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 the party S Fairphone is definitely needed to to be that watchdog, to be at the forefront of uh, of uh, of alternatives and of these innovations. Uh, but definitely, we cannot do it um, just by ourselves. We really need uh, to work with uh, with other manufacturers to make that change happen on a bigger uh, bigger scale. Yeah, and I, and I wonder about that. I mean, I, I wonder how much of, of what you've proved to be, you know, a sound and responsible way of doing business is is kind of replicable. I mean, how much of what you've learned can be used by some of the, the you know the bigger players, and, and and what's your role in that? I mean, presumably Apple were, were talking to you guys and saying, look, Fairphone, tell us how to do this. Um, yeah, it's definitely replicable, not only in the electronics industry, but we even get uh, um, uh, manufacturers of, of, of glasses who called us, who, who also need gold plating to cover their wine glasses, uh, asking uh, uh, with whom we are working for our, uh, for our gold salt, because with, with that supplier we are uh, supporting the Fairtrade Gold Initiative. So there's even, uh, it, it, that's even replicable in other industries, I would say, and it's Definitely not only looking at the end result, but much more the approach. Um, what Fairphone tries to do is to really find a collaborative way of, of, of working with suppliers, so not policing them and saying, 
I'm going to make you responsible for all the health and safety in your factory and all the sub-suppliers that you you are in turn sourcing from. But we, we, we go to these factories, sit together at the table and find out what are your challenges to make this more fair or why is it so difficult to know uh, where the certain material come from and let's try together to make it uh, to make it possible or to find that information or to find other partners that we can work with together to uh, uh, to make that change uh, possible and i think that approach is replicable in in all sectors and uh, by all other companies and then luckily i do also see that that is sort of echoing if you visit the conferences or or industry roundtables uh, that 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 specific change in approach and that more open attitude towards suppliers is uh, is becoming more of an uh, of a way of doing things and i think that is really the key of um, of the, the the point of departure where we have to uh, kick off now yeah and that's really good to hear uh, how do you how do you balance the kind of the need to improve social environmental issues on the ground in some of these countries with the need to allow them to kind of economically flourish uh, I mean, obviously, you don't want to impinge on a nation's right to, to kind of make money. And I think, you know, the same argument's been going on for decades in, in timber, for instance. Lots of countries that have wanted to cut down trees and sell sell their timber. Uh, is that one of the specific challenges you hope to understand by, by really sort of getting into developing a product? Definitely. I think also that is one of the key sort of benefits of our strategic change from being an awareness raising campaign and more from an yeah from an activist perspective to really become an enterprise with 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 something to offer to those uh, partners so instead of just pointing fingers and putting responsibility on a business you are making it a collaborative effort um to sort of balance that that economic uh, uh interest with social and env- environmental innovation um so i think that's also why we should definitely acknowledge that it's a step-by-step approach and that it does take time to find a business model and to find a uh, a business case that really integrates those different uh, interests. But if you look at it at the long term, then definitely social and environmental performance is translating into a business case. If you reduce energy consumption, if you uh, have better water uh, uh, management, um, if you use less materials, if you use recycled materials, then in a way it also translates to 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 a better business case that is more sustainable, not only on the social and environmental side, but also definitely on the long term, on the economic uh, on the economic side. And again, if 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 consumers are also willing to to yeah to put their money where their mouth is and to also support companies that are trying to find that balance in a better way, mm. then it will pay off in, 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 in the end, also in the economic, uh, in the economic sense. You know, look at, at Fairphone. We have been able to now um, uh, sustain ourselves. We've grown from a company from five people in 2013 to almost 50 people uh, three years later. There is a business case also for social entrepreneurship. And I think that... Um, that is, uh, yeah, one of the key things that we should acknowledge uh, altogether. Absolutely. I mean, well, what's next for you guys then? I mean, is it, is it about uh, scaling up the business? Is it about new products? I mean, what, what comes next? Um, I think for 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 Fairphone, we will uh, continue to produce a phone. I think if you look at the electronics industry, then there's a lot of 
know, suppliers that also supply to, for example, the tablets or to, to, to laptops or to other electronic uh, devices. So for us, again, we use the mobile phone to access that supply chain and thereby targeting the electronics industry at, at large. Um, but there's still so much work to do, even in our own uh, uh, supply chain. That, that yeah, we, we we think the mobile phone for us is uh, is for now uh, a strong enough tool to get that uh, social and environmental uh, work done in uh, in uh, in our supply chain and thereby the the industry at large. But at the same time, we're still you know compared to other in, uh, other brands quite small when it comes to um, brand awareness. We are at the moment only selling in Europe, whereas there's also more and more interest coming from the US and from other continents. So there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of room for us to, to scale up and expand to other uh, other countries and to other, uh, yeah, to reach out to more consumers. Yep. Um, but for now, we will continue to, uh, to work with the mobile phone. And since we have a modular um, phone, which means that you can replace For example, you know, your screen when it breaks down or your battery when the battery lifetime uh, becomes a little less, um, then you can upgrade uh, these modules. So, for example, we can also introduce an upgraded camera module uh, going further uh, uh, this year or next year, which, which makes it for us very interesting still to work with this current model uh, of, of, of phone and to keep, keep this phone updated uh, for, for the consumers that are currently having this, uh, this phone. So yeah, there's still a lot of room also to uh, to innovate on the on the technology uh, part, and um, yeah, being still a small company, I think it's also wise for us to grow in a very organic way and not to uh, to try to conquer the world uh, too 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 fast, but to really yeah have that impact maximization uh, at the forefront and not necessarily profit maximization or uh, monopolization of the market. Sure, sure. Well, it's, it's a great story, BB. And uh, so much of my work is, is centered on supply chain issues and writing about uh, fairly complex things. Uh, and, uh, and I love what you're doing. It's a company I've watched for, for a while now with very much interest. And uh, the fact that this started as a campaign and it's now turned into a viable business uh, with lots of lessons for others to learn in the sector is just fascinating. So thank you for, for telling us all about it and, uh, and good luck with everything. Thanks a lot, Tom. It was great to talk to you. BB Bleak Molen there, the Head of Social Impact Development at Fairphone. Uh, all the details on Fairphone, the story and the work that it's doing are in our show notes today. Uh, just head over to, to betterbusiness.show for that if you're not listening within the, uh, within the website. Um, anyway, let's, it's time for a brief update on the news from across the world of sustainable business. Let's find out who's doing what and why with Vicky Knowles. Vix, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again here on the Better Business Show. How are you? I'm I'm pretty depressed actually after Friday's results. I've got to be honest. Yeah, it's all a bit doom and gloom, isn't it? And it's stretched in through the weekend. Um, God, yeah, so much uh, misery and uh, angst at the moment in, here in the UK. Uh, but listen, we'll, we'll get over it. We'll get over it. Let's let's get inspired. Let's get hopeful. Let's talk about some of the. The good stories that are going on. Um, of course, over the weekend there was lots of happy people down in uh, in Somerset uh, for for Glastonbury, uh, which looked like a complete washout. Uh, people up, up to their necks in mud. My idea of absolute hell, to be honest. Uh, there, was a, there was a good piece last week by George Ogilby, uh, who works for ED, 
uh, clearly a fan of, of Glastonbury and all things uh, uh, festivals. And he did a, a 10 best green features, which made the Glastonbury Festival even greener than normal this year. Well worth checking out. There's, uh, there's obviously a top 10, but things like converting sweat into energy, where they've got the, the Greenpeace field. They set up a, a, a mini gym down there near the pyramid stage where people power from their sweat was creating the energy for the sound system. Uh, they had, uh, well, there was lots made of the kind of the massive solar PV array down on the farm. Uh, 1,500 square metres of solar panels sit on top of the cattle shed uh, on Worthy Farm and, uh, and that was powering a whole bunch of David Attenborough uh, uh, TV documentaries and um, there was, if you wrecked your tent you could go and get it recycled and they're trying to sort of halve the amount of waste or 60% reduction of waste on site down at the, the farm. So loads and loads of great stories coming out of Glastonbury this year. Uh, well worth looking at, the, um, at George's piece on ED. I'll, I'll put the link in, in today's show notes. Yeah, this did cheer me up a bit. Um, although I felt so sorry for those poor kids stuck in their cars for like 12 hours on was it Wednesday, Thursday. Um, but anyway, loving all the renewable energy initiatives you listed, especially the sweat one. I guess it'll keep warm when the weather takes a turn. Um, and the waste one is a big one. I, I reckon there should be, I don't know how much of this goes on already, but I reckon there should be more encouragement of a free-for-all after a certain time. Uh, like, you know, stuff's been left. You know, some people buy these brand new tents and then just leave them and they're, like, completely fine. Um, you know, even if you encourage business to come in and sweep up all the tent fabric and then turn it into something, I don't know, make for a cool thing. Yeah, that sounds like the sort of thing that would probably be happening there anyway. I don't know, but... Do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah I be. have to confess, but I haven't actually been to the festival. I'm, I'm a bit like you. I'm, I'm not like a muddy tent sort of girl. <laughs> No, there's no point. I mean, if it's all on the BBC, what is the point in going to get muddy uh, to watch a few bands? Uh, I think that's just a sign of my age, though, but there we go. Um, yeah, so that's, that was Glastonbury. That's uh, an interesting one from the weekend. Um, what did you find? Um, so kind of a slight departure from sustainable business um, to just good old sustainability for this one. But Italian composer Ludovico Einaudi has just had a pretty chilly and quiet concert on a floating platform in the Arctic Ocean uh, near the coast of Norway. Um, so he had his grand piano on board and played a specially composed piece called Elegy for the Arctic as part of a Greenpeace campaign to safeguard the Arctic. I'm actually already a really big fan of his music. He's, he's a good composer. He's very beautiful, like very beautiful music. So um, I think the music says everything here. Yeah, and it it's a, you know, continues a long history of campaigners doing weird and wacky stuff in the name of activism and uh yeah it is impressive that you know the the video is great is that, that grand piano and the, the backdrop of the of the glacier uh i mean do you think it'll get get people talking vix i mean obviously we're talking about it but uh beyond us two um I mean, yeah i guess these things work <laughs> don't they yeah i think you know i think sustainability in the arts is quite a big one um you know getting sort of musicians on board and you know even what you're saying about Glastonbury Festival when you you know such a cool thing that's going on about highlighting sustainability around it it makes it it brings it a bit more into the mainstream because yeah. it's sort of from the point of view of people's interests or passions 
That's it. And then and continuing a common theme, really, of, of, you know, how do you connect these stories with, with the mainstream and get consumers excited? Um, a piece that, that I looked at this week was uh, all about kind of uh, video games. And I've, I've written a, a fair bit about this in the, in the last year. It's, it's amazing when you, you, know, you start digging into it, just how many uh, video games and apps and, and, and the like that are created to really help create social good. Um, and we've got a new video game. Uh, that's come on the market called Blockhood, uh, which is centered around constructing and, and planning a city uh, that, that aims to kind of raise awareness and understanding of sustainability issues. So it's a bit like SimCity, a bit like Minecraft, uh, but you kind of build this Blockhood, it's called, and it kind of grows, and then you the resources to fuel the city get more complex, and you basically have to kind of get the balance right between ecology and taking into account living space and agriculture and, and manufacturing and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's yeah, there's a there's a great piece on it on on sustainable brands uh, from last week, um, and it says that by stimulating or simulating the carbon energy uh, contributions of each part of a city, Blockhood supports a growing movement of ecological logical urbanism uh, the game hopes to encourage gamers to find solutions for climate change uh, the guy behind it is an, is an architect and he's a, a game designer his name is Jose Sanchez um, and he said he created it to inspire people to create socially and ecologically sustainable cities with limited resources and services one block at a time mm, I love that I think it reminds me of what we were talking about recently on um how children's TV is engaging them with sustainability. That's right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, this video game sounds pretty exciting. And um, did you mention the documentary? I was reading that in the um, in the article. Um, there's a documentary called My Urban Playground, and it's featured in in that documentary. Okay. Um, so that sounds pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it seems like a double win: engaging and educating gamers, sort of all professionals on sustainability, whilst also being able to use the system to apply to the real world. Hopefully, so pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, kids spend hours on these games, don't they? I mean, my six-year-old, he spends probably a bit too long on his, uh, on his PlayStation every day. But, you know, I think it's great if you, if you can get them to start thinking about some of these issues from a, a really young age. Then, you know, these are our architects, our town planners, uh, you know, mayors, city planners of the future. And, uh, and, you know, game playing at such a young age really does stick with people. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. And there's so many different games out there like this. So um, it's well worth checking out. Blockhood. Yeah, exactly. You might as well harness their strengths for yeah. the future. Um, so yeah, my my second story is a tool a surprise to anyone. Um, but Unilever has been named top dog as the leader in sustainability for the sixth year running. That is according to the 2016 Sustainability Leaders Survey. So nearly half of those asked out of the 900 so-called qualified sustainability experts selected the consumer good giant answer leader. And then in second place, but by a wide margin, is Patagonia, followed by Interface, IKEA, and Tesla. In terms of why companies would be considered a leader, experts voted for the seemingly close alignment between sustainability strategy and internal culture and values. They also thought to excel at integrating social and environmental purpose into core business. Um, and I think this is what you've been talking a lot about in your recent episodes on bee cults really um just as a side note i really love that episode on cook i thought that was one of yeah, my favorites really, so really good wasn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. it went down really, really well, good yeah. Yeah. yeah she seems really cool um charlotte charlotte Sewell. Right. yeah charlotte Sewell. yeah that was that a really was good a... story actually very very good to have him on yeah so true about 
have they got any jobs? <laughs> you were just I like, know, can you? I know. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so, so fun, but yeah. So, so we find ourselves talking about Unilever again. Um, you I know, do. I mean, I think the, the Globe Scan. This is a, is a Globe Scan and sustainability. This survey, isn't it? And I think it's you know it's one of the best out there in terms of kind of taking the temperature, and uh, and yeah, no surprises. Unilever, IKEA, Tesla. Um, I mean, I, I wonder what effect it has on a business when they're kind of put up on a on a pedestal for everybody else in this kind of space to, to kind of look at for inspiration and, you know, and ideas. And I mean, it must, you know, certainly under the spotlight. I wonder if it sort of ramps the pressure up a bit, though. Mm, it, it could be a good thing. You know, they've got to perform sort of things. They've got to, they're, they're sort of, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If, they've, if they're seen as a leader and kind of the innovator in the space, maybe they feel more compelled to live up to that expectation. Yeah, I see. And if you're in, if you're working on this stuff, within these big businesses, it must be just such a great feeling when you're, you know, the experts out there, your peers hold you in such high regard. I think it's brilliant. And, you know, and, and some of the things that they're looking at here, things like you mentioned, how you integrate kind of purpose, how you build partnerships, how you collaborate, encourage innovation, all that type of stuff. And this is what these companies are being judged on. And, um, and we know that these are the things that companies like Tesla and, and Unilever are actually doing and so you know you often get this kind of eye rolling effect where anyway anybody mentions Unilever as a sort of kind of case study you know especially on the kind of conference circuit you go to these events and and people do moan that, that Unilever is, is is put up on a pedestal and is always referenced but you know what you know they do they deserve it they deserve the plaudits because like you know there's so many companies that are well behind them and uh and it's you know they're an interesting company to watch because they're always pushing the envelope and, and doing new interesting things. So, yeah, and uh, we've mentioned them again, but I think that we uh, we should be yeah validated in our decision to do so. Vix, thanks very much for sharing some of those stories. Good to have you on as ever, and uh, and we'll see you again next week. All right, see you next week. So that's it for another week. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, delighted to have you join us please don't forget to subscribe via itunes it's the best way of not missing a show of the better business show every monday um you can listen on soundcloud and deezer and stitcher and tune in all these other places so do check us out uh, and help us spread the message about better business show if there's a colleague or a friend or a family member you think might enjoy the show uh, and the stories that we're telling each week then uh, then i'd love you to share uh, share the show with them that'd be great Anyway, we'll be back again next Monday, so until then, goodbye.